Welcome to the Rest of Us podcast. My name is Noah Hutton and I'm your host. Each week I'll have a new entrepreneur on to talk about their story, their struggles, and their lessons learned. This week my guest is Ryan Snott. He is a videographer and owner of a media company in Iowa. And our conversation was so great that we actually split this episode into two parts. So the first part will be coming out now. You're watching the first part. And the second part will be coming out later this week. So please uh, tune in to both parts. Conversation was really good and I'm really excited for everybody to listen to it. So without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with Ryan Snott. Ryan Snod, welcome to the Rest of Us podcast. Hey Noah, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. I am really excited to talk to you. We had a conversation yesterday, uh, just really good conversation talking about our businesses and you know our views on uh, the videography industry and all that stuff. And it sounds like we have a lot of similar interests and similar views. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, but before we get started, I'll just have you introduce yourself, your business, and kind of what you do. Sure, yeah. So thanks for having me on again. Uh, my name is Ryan Snod. It rhymes with odd. I own a video marketing business here in central Iowa called Snod Media Group. Uh, we specialize in corporate and fitness. Uh, those are kind of the two niches that we focus on. And uh, a big thing for me and, and something I try to do a lot with my clients is really lean into the marketing side. So helping people with strategy, doing all that type of stuff. Um, we also dabble in some podcasting every once in a while, just helping with market strategy, running ads, just a whole gamut of different stuff there. So. Yeah, absolutely. A very well-rounded and uh, diverse business, something that I am currently looking to build. So really excited to talk to you and kind of to get your take on it. Um, so let's just kind of jump right into your story. This this podcast is about telling entrepreneurs' stories. So let's just kind of start with uh, where yours starts. Sure, yeah. So I when I go really back in the archives, I, I actually started making funny skit videos when I was in like middle school with my friends. Actually, probably like fourth or fifth grade. We would um, One of my buddies would steal his sister's little like pixel camera, you click it and the lens comes out. And we do funny little skit videos of people doing funny, what we thought was funny comedy skit videos and put it on Bebo, which was like MySpace back in the day. Um, so that was kind of my first attempt at like shooting videos, making them, that type of thing. Um, kind of my, I guess where my commercial filmmaking uh, process started was in college, I was a sophomore and I worked in Target in the electronics area. And I'd actually bought a camera when I was there, because it was on clearance for like $500 or so, and just wanted to shoot some fun videos here and there, different things. And then after about 12 months, uh, shot with that camera and made about $10,000 with it. And I was like, oh wow, like this is kind of interesting because I just kind of did this for fun. Like what would happen if I actually took it serious and that type of thing. So um, invested in some more gear with the profits from that. And I've had similar kit. I've, I've enhanced some things as the years have gone on, but that's kind of been how I really got started. Um, and then after I graduated from college, uh, I ended up taking a job full-time in a marketing uh, production company here in Des Moines. Worked there for about four years and helped a lot of people just uh, with the market strategy. So people would come to us for a really large project. We would we had 20, you know, 20 employees or so and really got to learn the ropes of like how to do large production uh, budgets, how to sell projects that are over $100,000 for like a one-minute video. Um, just understand really what corporate clients are looking for. And that was a really great learning opportunity for me. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. One thing I want to go back to is that 500 to 10,000 story. Um, so when you got the camera, I think you said it was a Canon T5i or something really yeah, like it, beginner and basic like that. The T5i is the flip screen. I didn't even have oh. a flip screen. So oh man, not even that fancy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, like, you started a pretty beginner camera. It's a good camera. Like if anybody's looking to get into videography, the, can, the Canon T series is a great camera to start at. But so when, when you were, you got the camera, what, 
what was your kind of idea of like, okay, I'm going to make some money with this. Where did you start? And then where did you see like, okay, I'm really making money with this. Like, let's expand here, like go into this niche. Like, what was that? What did that look like? Sure. Yeah. Great question. So when I, my first video I ever made in college was I got a GoPro for Christmas and documented my whole study abroad uh, experience. Right. So came home from Europe after 14 days of shooting and traveling and whatnot, got into windows movie maker and quickly threw together a video. And it was like, I was like addicted at that point. I was like, I was more fired about making the video than the trip at some point there. So that, that was kind of my first attempt at that. And then once I got kind of, uh, acquainted with the editing software and stuff, bought my T5, which I mentioned. Um, I had a couple of people that had seen the videos that I was putting together, like these travel videos. And uh, they're like, hey, you know, could you shoot for my nonprofit? Or, hey, I work at a company locally that has like three employees and we just need a little promo video. Can you shoot with us? And kind of my first commercial experience was um, I was asked by a contact of mine who she ran a um, area chamber of commerce and they needed to do a little promo video for this award ceremony of all the local companies that had reinvested in the area. So I was, I, they said, well, we can't pay you as an intern. We have like 400 bucks we can pay you. And I was like, Oh, that'd be great. You know, little did I know we had like 10 shoot days, like traveling all over the, I probably made like 30 cents an hour when I yeah. go back and look. But that first experience was great because I got to interview you know, CEOs, presidents of colleges, billionaires in the area that had reinvested a bunch of money in real estate and whatnot. And those are kind of my first connections. So then they're like, oh, cool. Like, are you a student? And I was like, yeah, you know, go to this college here nearby. And they're like, oh, we'd love to, you know, work with you when you get out of school. Like, here's my card. And that was kind of my first thing. I got like, you know, 10 or 15 people that were in my network. Uh, Not necessarily all of them became clients, but they could refer me to other people. Oh, I just shot with so-and-so, this guy down the street, this president of a college, he gave me some street cred. And that allowed me to kind of hopscotch into shooting some more commercial projects that were paid. So, Yeah, it's definitely the idea of like, it's who you know. And that's something that as somebody who's very introverted, I kind of try to avoid in a way is like, I, I know it. Yeah, I know you need to know people, but I do not like talking to a bunch of groups of people. So I was like, let's go a different route. But as, as I grew my business and as I'm growing still, I realized, especially like the, at the new year, that's kind of where the turning point was for me. It's like, okay, I really need to start making connections and having, you know, meetings and one-on-ones and meeting people and, you know, getting people to refer me to other clients. It really is about who you know and kind of how uh, how you you grow your business that way as opposed to just like, you, you can only grow so much by cold calling and, you know, getting new connections that way. So making those connections, especially early on, if you can, like in college or in high school is so critical if you want to grow your business and get kind of a head start in that, that direction. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And I think, and this is something that a lot of creatives get stuck on is like, they're just afraid to even like, they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of talking to people. Like if you want to do this for a job and you want to pursue this career, you have to be able to put yourself out there. You have to be able to hit the pavement call a bunch of people. Like I, I always tell the story in one of my courses and on YouTube was uh, I, I got an opportunity to work with Shut Sports. They're a football helmet manufacturer and they they provide them and, and Rydell. They're like the two top dogs. Like they sell hundreds of thousands of shoulder pads, helmets every year. And I wanted to work with them really bad. So I literally just picked up the phone, called the headquarters and said, hey, can I speak to the marketing department? And I didn't even really have a script. I just like, I just want to work with them. So I called them and I said, Hey, can I talk to the marketing director? I'm like, yeah, can I ask who's calling? I'm like, Oh, this is Ryan Snod from Snod Media Group. I'm like, okay. Sent me right into his phone. I was like, this is insane. So he picked up. I'm like, 
oh my yeah. God. Like I didn't really think he'd answer the phone. And uh, so I just told him, hey, I have a bunch of footage of your guys' helmets from a football commercial that I did or a football uh, hype video I did for a local sports team. Um, I, there's a bunch of product shots from the helmets and stuff. Um, would love to send it your way if it could help you in any way. He's like, oh, absolutely. Sure, here's my email. Send it over, blah, blah. And then as we're talking, you know, we're just talking shop about marketing and whatnot. And he's like, what did you say your name was again? And he pulled up my website and he was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, could you do something like this for us? And I said, for sure. Yeah, just, you know, we do remote productions. Just send us the gear, mail it to me, and I'll, I'll throw something together. And he's like, okay, sounds good. So they did. They sent me a box of like $3,000 worth of football gear. Um, I set up something in my garage and shot it on myself. So I shot it and was the talent in it, sent it to him in 48 hours. And I'm like, okay, if you could just do this with no direction or anything and no budget, like let's put some money behind this. So then they hired me out to do a promo uh, commercial for their new helmet that was just released. So stuff like that. It's like, you have to be a rainmaker, like create opportunity. Don't just sit around and just wait for things to come your way. You have to go out and, and want it and put it out into the world. Absolutely. And that kind of leads into something that I ask a lot of creatives um, is kind of the idea or like the their thoughts behind free work and spec work. And that kind of sounds, it's kind of in the range of spec work. I mean, they, they sent you the gear, so it wasn't like totally just like on your own, but you, I mean, you did it more or less for free. You, you did, you, did you get paid for that gig or was it for, completely free at first? For the first one, no. Um, and yeah. they, I remember their director of marketing, he used to run the worldwide marketing company for uh, Adidas before he switched over to their company. He was oh, like, wow. He's like, uh, okay, if this guy could make this with no budget, no yeah. time, no direction, what if we gave him some money and actually told him what we wanted? Yeah. So that was kind of like a fun little uh, part there. But it, again, it was like brand value alignment. I, I love their stuff. Like when I was in high school, we all had shut everything and it was great. Um, I like what they stand for. I like their audience, who they target. And I just wanted to work with them. So I made a connection that way. And like you said, even if they didn't answer the phone, that's okay. I would have just called someone else or moved on with my life. But inviting the opportunity of something greater happening um, is worth the time. It's worth yeah. picking up the phone and calling. So yeah, so that that kind of leads me into like talking a little bit about free work and spec works. So, like when you're when you're talking to you know younger creatives or people getting their start, what is, what do you tell them about you know free work and spec work? Like how much is okay? How how should they? get started what types of stuff should they shoot for free in spec work to get you know those paid gigs like what is your kind of stance on that sure that's a great question so the way i i educate people on it is i call it the interest triangle so it's basically like three points of of things that would get you to do a video it's like one is money so like that's the top is like if it's going to pay or pay well take it the second option would be more relationships so like doing this video is going to get you in contact with you know, more like a, with my very first project I did, it's like I got to shoot with a bunch of CEOs and presidents of colleges that could become more clients. So those relationships are huge, right? So that's the second angle. And the third angle is more of like a passion project. So something you're super excited about. Um, what I always tell beginners is if any of those three points are hit with a project, take it. If it's something you're passionate about that doesn't pay well and has terrible connections, take it. If it pays really well, but is not gonna move your career forward and you don't really care about it, Take it. Like if it's one of those things, take it. As you become more of an intermediate um, shooter, I always tell people try to get two of the three in a project. So try to get something you're passionate about that's going to get you good relationships, but maybe won't pay the best, or that's going to pay really well, um, but maybe maybe tickle that passion, but the relationship or connection isn't there. 
So that, that's kind of the, the, that step. And then the third is when you're like overwhelmed with work, you're getting inquiries all the time. If it doesn't pay well, if it doesn't connect you to new people, and if it's not something you're passionate about, pass on it because it's not going to be worth your time. So that's yeah, what I would tell people. I absolutely love that kind of uh, that, you know, triangle there that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm, I'm kind of my personal angle on that is like, I'm at the point where, you know, I have a ton of work coming in and I'm kind of, you know, I'm not ready to niche down into like, I only take this type of work or I only do it for this price. But I'm also like, if it's not worth my time, I'm not going to do it. So I'm kind of at that, I guess you would say intermediate level of, you know, the money has to be there. Like I'm not going to travel six hours for $200 or something like that. Like the money has to be there and you know, maybe I'll do it for free if I'm going to build connections or like we're trading work or something like that's how I'm doing it with, I just got off a call with um, an association and you know, they're going to put me as a sponsor um, and maybe potentially comp my comp my booth at the, their event so I can have a booth there. But then I'm also at the event, maybe supporting their videographer and photographer with some, you know, at some of their sessions or, you know, mm-hmm. at some of their, uh, their events. So, you know, it, it helps out cause I'm going to build a lot of connections. And, you know, as I try to grow different angles, of my business, you know, maybe I'm not getting paid for that, but the time is definitely worth it. Cause I'm going to meet a ton of people, show off my work, get, you know, some things for free and get some things, um, that would originally cost me like, you know, a couple thousand dollars, but I'm, but I'm necessarily not getting paid. I'm getting paid not in exposure because you don't want to get paid in exposure. That's a terrible thing to say, but, I'm getting paid in relationships potentially, and that could lead to more paid gigs or more relationships. And maybe, you know, in the beginning, it's not like, Hey, I know, I know that you do great work and I'll pay you, you know, $10,000 for this project. But maybe I know somebody who knows somebody that will pay you $10,000 for this project. So -hmm. if you meet those, those first few people, you know, maybe it's building those connections and doing those low cost jobs or, you know, things like that, but that will eventually lead to, Oh, I know the CEO of this company or I know the president of this organization and they need, a photographer for their event in Houston. Can you fly out to Houston and do this event? So I love that triangle. It's a great way and it's a very scalable kind of metaphor of or uh, framework for people, you know, one to two to three. Um, so I absolutely love that kind of uh, framework you just laid out there. For sure. No, and I, I think to that point too, and this might rub some people the wrong way, but you're, you're going to know where you're, you need to be self, like look into yourself and be like, am I worth this amount of money because I think a lot of people a think they're like they pick up a camera and they expect a certain dollar amount like no one owes you anything you have to prove it so if you don't have anything in your portfolio that would support them having trust or belief that you could do it go shoot it for free like you have to put that time to the pavement to get the work done and then in terms of like scaling up a lot of people are like what should I charge and that type of thing there's a bunch of different ways you can do it which I'm sure we can talk about hourly day rates and retainers and all that stuff but I would say like the first price you should probably throw is like 500 bucks and just like 500 bucks for a video, see if they'll do it. And then kind of a, a scalable way I've also taught people is, you know, start with 500 bucks, increase your price 20% every single video until half the people start saying no that you're pitching to because it's too expensive. And then that's when you know you're kind of in your sweet spot. Because once you get to the point when you're like where I'm at now, like I pitch a lot of projects, I might close maybe 25% of them, 30% of them or so. I try to get that number a little bit higher by offering tiered packages and stuff depending on their budget, but it's okay. I'm not afraid of people saying no. If it's not a good fit for them, that's okay. And then I know, hey, if I'm putting time in, I'm getting paid well for it. It's the projects I want to work on and those things align well so then I can kind of scale. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think for creatives, once like the pricing angle is so difficult at the beginning because you just have no idea. Like everybody's different. Nobody can give you the right advice because you know they're different. Like they might be at the five thousand dollar level and you're at the five hundred dollar level, and so they can't necessarily tell you to charge five thousand because you're not there yet. So, mm-hmm. but I think you definitely know. You kind of figure out that point where you're. Like, oh, I really should be charging, you know, $100 an hour or $700 for my day rate or whatever it is. You kind of know when that is because you start taking projects and the the volume of projects you're taking isn't enough to cover your expenses. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's personal or business expenses, you're growing, but your revenues are not growing as much, but your skills are growing. So you're, you're kind of at that point. It's like another kind of like triangle of like revenue and skills and experience and stuff like that where like... One, all of those things need to grow. And so like when one grows, the others need to grow with it. So when your skills grow, your revenue needs to grow with it. When you're, you know, if you don't have enough time to dedicate to all of these projects, maybe your prices need to go up. So you're, dedica- you're dedicating your time to only a few that you can get a lot of dollar value out of and experience out of. So it, it, you kind of know, and I'm, I'm at that point again, where like I kind of figured out like, oh, I'm at a point where I need to be charging more because I, I can, first of all, and I mm-hmm. need to cover expenses. Um, and I think, you know, for creatives, it's going to be really hard in the beginning and you're not really going to know. You're just going to be throwing out numbers that you don't even know where they came from. But once you get a few accepted, you kind of figure that out like, oh, this is a really good price or this type of customer is really price sensitive. So I need to maybe go a little bit lower get that experience with them and then maybe next year we can go a little bit higher on the price or something like that so it's you kind of just know it's really uncomfortable in the beginning but you know eventually sure well i think part of it too is like working with clients that actually have budget and a means to support video production i know a lot of people when i first started out i got so many random i would say like crazy stuff off the wall like goat's birthday party or something can you shoot my goat's birthday party okay whatever um but once you realize like if there's a a purpose for it like someone's wedding video that's a huge day in their life they want to capture that moment forever that's why they're willing to pay money for it for a company they need ads that they can run so they can make money from that like there's a direct result so once you start to understand the value that you bring to a specific client you understand their problems and you can solve all those problems for them you can charge according to the problem. And I always say big problems get big um, budgets. So when you're working with a larger company, yes, they have more money to spend, but they're not just throwing money at the, out the wind. It's like, okay, if, if you learn like how many sales equate to dollars in revenue, it's like, okay, if this video could do that for you, how can we reverse engineer that result so you can get a good investment in your dollars? Absolutely. And I think I think also the, the thing to kind of understand is finding the clients that, are willing to put, you know, an investment into video production is a big thing. Cause I have had clients, you know, come to me ones I'm still working with and ones that I, I didn't work with or haven't, haven't worked with yet. They, they come up to me and they're like, we want to go all out on X. We want to do this the right way. We want to do this, everything the right way. And then you start talking to them and you realize that maybe they don't understand what that means. And so it's it's about not only finding the clients that are willing to go all out, but that understand what all out means, and that kind of value your production. Um, and even if if they don't, maybe kind of work on educating them a little bit of like, okay, this is what I would do if I was going all out on this video production. If you're not there yet, that's totally fine. Or maybe if you don't see the value in this right now, that's that's totally fine. Maybe instead of three days a month of shoots, let's do one day a month of shoots at this mm-hmm. price 
and then maybe you know after a couple months maybe you ramp up your cadence of content or you ramp up your cadence of events or um, things like that and maybe you start seeing those results then you see what what we could do if we put a little bit more into this this process um, so I think it's part of it is showing results obviously like that's what we need to do is show results with our content but also educating the, the client on what 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 are you what would you like to do with this project where where do you see this project being at the at the best quality possible and then helping helping them see the value in that because you know a lot of clients you say like oh this video is going to cost $6000 or like i'm going to charge $6000 a month for this retainer fee and they're like you're really asking me to pay $6000 for this or like i've had clients that want to buy cameras and build a studio in there and i'm consulting on that and I send them what the gear to buy, and they're like, "You really want me to spend two thousand dollars on a camera body and don't even get a lens?" And I'm like, "I mean, yeah, like we gotta, we gotta, you know, work with this. Like, if you want to go lower, we can go lower. But I really think this is the sweet spot. So it's about educating your clients and working with them where they are, um, or you know, getting to them to the point where they're comfortable with, uh, you know, what they can, what they can do in the future with the spend." Absolutely, no, and I think under like, especially with a first time client that's never done video, that's always like a kind of tough conversation of being like what things are. Cause I always get in meetings and I do a two-step meeting process. So I'll do a discovery meeting to ask a ton of questions, learn their problems, and then go back to the drawing board, put a budget and a scope together. And then I come back in a second meeting and do a pitch where I present everything and let them decide what they want to do. And a lot of times people try and buck my system or try to like, Oh, well, what do you think it's going to cost? And I'm like, and they always say ballpark, but I won't hold you to it. They'll hold you to it. Trust yep. me. Like you say, you say a dollar amount, like, well, you said this and that, so you have to just be cautious of that. But what I always say is if they ask for ballpark, aim super high, like way high. If you think it's probably like three to $4,000 budget, say like 10, 10,000, see if it scares the hell out of them. And if it doesn't, then you can be like, oh, then you can kind of reassess. You might even be able to bump your pricing up if they don't really crap their pants. But then the other nice thing is if you, if you price bracket high, which is what that tactic is, you like lead with a super high number that's what their expectation is. So then if you come in at like nine thousand or not 9,000, like 4,000, like, Holy crap, that's like way less than what he was thinking before. Like I'm getting a deal rather yeah. than being like, Oh, maybe like one to two grand. And then it's four. And they're like, that's double what they, you know, it's like yeah, exactly. the price shock is a lot crazier that way. Yeah. I've, I've did, I've done that thing where, you know, so actually let me back up do, when you do that discovery meeting, are you asking them what their budget is in the beginning or are you just doing all of the money talk in the second meeting? It, it just depends on the scale of the company. If they've done a lot of, if they're a larger company, they have an, like a marketing department, they have budgets. I will ask usually towards the end of the call. And by the way, do you guys have like a set budget amount for this project that you've allocated or are you a little flexible? And they're almost always flexible. There's, very few times they've ever told me, hey, here's what it is. But the times that I do get told what the budget is, it's usually right on where my price scope would be, or it's even higher than that, which is always nice. So a lot of times they're, you know, like I said, if the budget that I was going to put together is like five, they're like, oh, we were looking to spend like around 12000 on this. It's like, oh, okay, that's like way higher than I thought. I don't say that out loud, but I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. like, I think we can work with that. So a lot of times I'll give them tiered options in that second meeting where it's like, I do a, a bronze, silver, gold option, bet, good, better, best, you know, offer them like the bronze is usually much less than what they need, but it's like a more cheap option. But we usually lead with the gold. 
come in with the silver, and then at the end is bronze. So you're again price anchoring super high with that higher price option. Yeah, that was my second question: is like, how do you kind of ex- uh, display those pricing? And it's like, like the way I always explained it or got explained to me was like, we could do it for fifty thousand. We could also do it for five thousand, and we could do it for five hundred. You know, like don't do it for five hundred, but like we like you know, there's that range of. You know, we can bring in a crew and do it for you know, ten, fifteen thousand. It could just be me at you know, two, three thousand or whatever, and then like anything lower is maybe not worth our time. Um, so yeah, it's like it, it's it's a hard you know ask in the beginning, especially if the client has never done video or like they just do video in house with their phone and you know webcam like on Zoom or whatever. Like it, it's a really hard ask, but I, I love that that tiering uh, pricing and also just everything that we've you know, gotten gotten through already has been great information um i want to get back to the story a little bit so i know you have a couple more stories of, of kind of like as you grew your business um and i already see you smiling because you know what i'm, what I'm going to ask about next so uh i guess i'll just let you lead with the, the next story which is really really funny sure so i always tell this one this one's like my highest converting email of all time it's called my the chili explosion that changed my life <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, it's, it's not made up it's a true story so um when I was in college, uh, my freshman year of college, I was trying to get an internship and could not regret, regret, regrettably, if I can get words out, um, find one or land one in Des Moines, in the city where I was living. So I had to move back home. My mom helped me find a job working midnights at a meat factory. So I was working from like 10 p.m. until about 8 a.m. Uh, in a chili production factory. What else did like the little Vienna sausages and stuff like that? So. Super smelly, like smelled like meat all day and stuff like that. But um, one fateful night, I was in the packaging room trying not to fall asleep. Um, and some guy comes busting in the door and he's like covered in like this red like sauce. And he looks all deranged and he's like, you. And I'm like, yeah, what? And he's like, there's been an explosion in the chili room. And I'm like, we have a chili room? Like I didn't even know. He's like, come with me. And I'm like, okay. So I went with him and he puts me in a muck boots, like the knee high uh, waiters, like puts me in the Oompa Loompa costume, gives me a shovel. And he's like, try not to breathe out of your, or try to breathe out of your mouth. And I was like, okay. And he opens this door. And I don't know if you've seen those huge um, propane tanks that are out, like really large ones, like white ones. We had like six of those in this huge warehouse room full of chili. And they had been cooking. And after six hours, the operator supposed to turn them off. Well, he fell asleep at the operating table and it like, explode like i'm talking volcanic chili just pouring out all over the floor and it was like smelled so bad like burnt you know ketchup basically and there's people everywhere scrambling around with shovels like trying to get this off the floor and clean it up so i'm i'm there for a couple hours like just shoveling chili in this trash can smelling like crap and i'm like i just like pause and i'm like sweating so bad i'm like i never want to do this ever again (laughs) yeah i mean that's wild when the summer's over, I'm like, I am getting my degree. I am finishing college. I'm doing something I enjoy with the rest of my life because there's no way I'm ever doing this again. So I went back to college, never missed a class ever after that. I tried to get as good of grades as I could, find a job that I enjoyed and, and try to never look back because I know a lot of my buddies from, from high school were still working blue collar jobs in the area and nothing wrong with those jobs. I'm just like, I just don't want to be doing this crap. Like let some other schmucks sh- shovel this chili. I want to go build something that I'm really proud of. So that's kind of what we got me going. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you're not watching the uh, the video version of this podcast, my mouth kind of dropped when he when he explained that that chili scenario that I just couldn't even imagine. I mean, I didn't work you know factory jobs. I I went the retail route, but like I just I had that I had that same reaction of like there's something that happens. You know, for me it was a customer just screaming at me on the phone. I'm like I'm never doing this again. Like I stayed there for a while, but I was like I'm not doing retail ever again. I'm just, no, we're doing something that I love because. You know, I need to do that. So I 100%, you know, feel that uh, with you of like, you get to the point where you're like, just no, never again. Absolutely not. Yep. And the, and the managers at the end of the summer were like, thanks for all the summer help. If you guys, when you get your degrees, if you want to come back and pursue the management route, like, let us know. We'll give you a good recommendation. I'm like, there is nothing I will ever do to get me back in here. <laughs> yeah, no way. No way. Absolutely not. I am out of here. <laughs> No, I, I don't blame you. That's, that's crazy. So, so that kind of leads you into out of college. Um, and you, you took, so that, that's the other thing I'm interested in is you, you had this experience in college of, you know, 500 to 10,000 doing it on your own. Why the, why go the nine to five route? I guess I assume it's a nine to five, it's just the, the job route instead of doing it on your own. Why go that route? And it seems like it worked out for you, but kind of what was the thought process behind that? Sure. Yeah. So at the time when I was first leaving college, I really needed to like land a job just to get some stability. Um, I wasn't to the point where I was making, you know, enough to, to support my life in that way. And I was also, I went to a D three private college and paid the whole thing in loans. So I was like buried in student loan debt. So I, I was like, I'd applied for this job at this production house. This is like my dream job out of college. Like basically the, the owner said, you can just build the role exactly how you want it. Like we need to start offering, marketing retainer services and you seem like a pretty sharp guy you can figure that out you know they've been in business for like 20 plus years so they have shot on all red cameras and all the super huge heavy lights and all the crew and all that type of stuff so this was kind of like i was my hail mary because i like i had six interviews with them and they hadn't told me if they were going to offer me a job yet i'm like i'm either going to do this or i'm going to work at like bass pro shops in the sales division because that was the only other job offer i had so i'm like i'll do whatever i need to do to get some money going but then after I was doing that for quite a while, I had all these doubts. You know, I was doing projects nights and weekends. And then in 2019, I had a really good year and I was like, holy crap, like I could probably go do this full time if I wanted to. But I kept getting pulled back and forth. Like, do I want to make the jump or not? Do I want to do this or not? And then when COVID hit, my business kind of just went to a standstill, which was fine because I was like, OK, I'm putting all my effort into my business, my job, like keep my job and just try and stay level. But then in 2021, things just kept getting crazier and crazier. And then I got to the point where, you know, I'd been shooting for seven years, nights and weekends, but I was taking all of my PTO. I was taking every night and weekend that I could. And I was working like 16 hours a day there for a couple months. And I'm like, I just, if I could just get that time back, I'll have so much more freedom in my life. And then for us, kind of our big um, reason why I was pushing so hard was because my wife and I were engaged to be married. And I was telling her, I'm like, you know, I'm super happy with our relationship. Everything's great. I'm just really nervous about the money side of this thing because I have so much debt that you don't even understand like hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month go out for these loans. And what's just like, you just don't get it because you don't have that debt. So we got a financial coach uh, locally here. His name's Travis Shelton. Shout out to Travis. Changed my life. This guy's crazy. Um, and he helped us put a plan together. We had $116,000 of debt between the two of us. And he's like, and I'm saying, yeah, it's, if we get this knocked out in like 20 to 30 years, I'd be super happy. And he's like, um, based on my calculations, you could be debt free and beside your house in a year and a half. And I'm like, there's oh, wow. no way, there's no yeah. way you can, we can do this. So he showed us the numbers, showed us the whole like spreadsheet, everything we needed to do. 
And um, so in late 2019, right before the pandemic, my wife and I, we dedicated ourselves to it. I worked my face off, extra money. We were on a shoestring budget. We were paying like tens of thousands of dollars a month to get this loan, these loans paid off. And we ended up paying off all the debt. Um, just uh, was it 16 months after we started down that journey and all the stuff that happened in COVID and all that good stuff. So once we were debt free, we, all we had was the mortgage on our house and that we, all of our consumer debt was gone. We saved up six months of expenses and I put my notice in and I quit my job. So we went from being in a place where we're trapped in a nine to five, where you have to do this job to survive to being like, we have options, you know, our bills are lower. We didn't have children at the time. It's like, we have all this flexibility in our life that we can do the things we want to do. And I can take a chance on my business when I'm ready to do that. But the crazy thing was I hit the business so hard to make all this extra money that when I looked up, I'd made it multiple six figure uh, income as a side hustle. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like why I need to quit. But it was just that like tug and pull of like you, once you, once you get to that point and you dedicate yourself to it, there's a higher purpose. Get out of my way. Cause I'm, I'm knocking every uh, brick wall down on my way there, but I didn't have a purpose before once yeah. I had a purpose with the debt payoff and making my life better and getting my family in a place I needed to do to succeed. Everything lined up for me. Absolutely. And like at the, at the end of that, right before you quit, was there any um, kind of, I don't want to say guilt, but like kind of, uh, you know, of like, I don't want to leave them behind. Like, I don't want to leave this job. I love the people there. I, lo- I put it so much effort and like the way that they gave you the opportunity of like, just build this role, how you want do whatever do the work that you want to do. Was there any kind of like they did, they gave me so much. I don't want to leave them, but also like I, if I want to grow this business, I have to leave. Was that, was what was the kind of mindset there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, if I'm being honest, I had a ton of back and forth with myself on like, do I want to do this or not? Cause then once they found out I was considering leaving, they were like offering me partner in the business. They were offering me like ownership options, which doesn't happen for a 25 year old, you know, like no one offers you ownership in a company to just to keep me. Cause they're like, I know they're, he's going to leave. Like it's just, you know, and they were okay with me doing my side thing. Cause I wasn't shooting videos at the studio. I was doing all the marketing strategy and client work and whatnot. But then once I realized I'm like, I don't have any control over a partnership of people that have been in the industry for 20 years, they could decide to sell it tomorrow. And I, you know, I'd be, I am a minority voice in that. And I said, the best investment I can make in it is myself. And again, I had six months of expenses saved up. So if we didn't get any work, if I had no work, I could make it for six months and worst case scenario, I could go get another job. There's plenty of those out there. So, um, I, I said, you know, I don't want, and this, this was right when my wife was pregnant with our, our son, which was probably a terrible time for me to go off on my own and make my business happen. But I really said too, I'm like, you know, as, as a father, as a husband, um, I can't look my kid in the face and say, Hey, go, go chase your dreams. If I can't do it myself, like I need to, I need to set that example for him by doing, not saying things. So once I made that decision, it all came full circle. I'm like, let's go. And we were just all in. So that was when I was ready to jump. I mean, I love that story. I, it, I feel like a lot of people relate to that of like wanting to do their side hustle full time, but not, you know, wearing, where, where to make that jump. Um, and I think that with a lot of entrepreneurs, there is kind of, there are a lot of jumps in your journey, whether it's when to expand your business, when to buy a commercial space, when to, you know, grow a community and do content creation online. All of these things are big jumps you have to make in your business. And, and you have experience with all of this. And I'm really excited to talk to you about it. This episode is actually going to be a two-parter. So we're this is part one of the of the episode. We are going to do a second part, all about kind of how Ryan uh, grew his business to where it is now, 
um, and all the other things that he does within his business, um, whether it's, you know, Facebook groups or ads or buying a commercial space, what that looks like and when to make those jumps. So I'm really excited for you to listen to part two. It'll be out later this week. So uh, again, Ryan, thank you for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you again in part two. Um, and we will see you later this week with the part two of this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rest of Us podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really helps me see that you are enjoying the episode and also helps other people see the podcast. Also, please consider giving a follow on social media. All the links will be in the show notes down below. Also, in the show notes, there is a link to the Rest of Us newsletter. This is a, a platform where I'll send out different takeaways from the episode, resources that were mentioned in the episode, and also uh, notifications about new episodes. So make sure you click the link to subscribe there. So episodes are released weekly, and I will see you then on the next episode of the Rest of Us podcast. <laughs>